passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. A-W, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. As we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forest and let them know. Hello, everybody. It is. Where are we hearing this from? Um, I don't know. Hello, oh, you know what? I think <laughs> I have one too many things open here. It's that second monitor. Damn it. It's oh, you know what? I screwing everything up. What's going on here? How's that? <laughs> oh, my God. What's sorry? I didn't know what was going on there. There's way too much technology for your own. Oh, dude, I can't even keep track of like, I'm not one of the big tabs persons, but now it's just. And you were thinking of getting a fourth monitor. Yeah, that that, that just can't happen for for many reasons. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Yeah, not so bad. Okay, that's that's good. How are you? Were you outside today? No, I wasn't actually. It's the weirdest day. Okay, this morning. It was actually really nice. We had a range today in Celsius, folks. Mm-hmm. The true, uh, the true temperature. Really, the only way you should be measuring temperature. So we had a high today of like fourteen and a low mm-hmm. of minus five. That's what the day That's progressed. Really strange. It wow. was crazy. Like I this morning, like I got out like my spring jacket. And then I went out in the afternoon. I'm like, dude, it is freezing out here. I had to put my winter jacket back on. But that's mm. a big variance for one day. Huge. How do you prepare for that? You can't. You stuff you a can't. winter jacket inside your, your backpack, maybe? You just give up to the weather. You stay so, inside. That's it. You, you do that, indeed. Well, everyone, welcome to the show. Sit back. We have a lot to discuss tonight from Dynamite in Huntsville, Alabama. Ever been? I can't say I have. Uh, I've been to Huntsville, Ontario. Me too. Yes. Anything um, like it? Um, it's far. It's very far. Okay. Yes. I've driven there. It's it's a long drive. Mm-hmm. Anything memorable in Huntsville, Ontario for you? Um, no, I don't think so. Yeah. Okay. Cottage. Cottage country. I yeah. Believe. Yeah. It's it's fine. It's. It's no, a it's great. It's wonderful. Yeah, I, I don't have much to say. I, I don't have any strong memories of Huntsville, Ontario. All right. <laughs> this is what you have tuned in for tonight, everyone. You are you are here for the very best analysis money can buy. Uh, we, we have lots to discuss. Uh, we are going to start off with the passing of Mike Jones, who was best known as Virgil, had many different characters throughout his career. 
Way, when you hear about Virgil, what do you think about? Oh, what a what a big question. Uh, what a loaded question. I mean, there, there's a lot. Um, obviously, in recent years, you think about um, you think about Lonely Virgil, you think about Olive Garden, you think about F Money, uh, and a lot of uh, fun, honestly, that really kind of came with this man's embracing of his online persona. Uh, but when you think about his, you know, bigger career, of course, you think about the run with a million dollar man, you think about the million dollar championship. And um, maybe even a little bit of Vincent in the NWO. I mean, the guy found himself in some pretty significant periods of pro wrestling history. I would never go so far as to say that this man was a cornerstone of either of these companies. But I mean, he, you know, he started. It's interesting because I'm his his birth date has, you know, been been up in in question today with what wikipedia has listed but i i tend to lean towards the the profile that slam wrestling did a few years ago on him where you know the the roommate he was living with like a close friend of his had confirmed it to be april 7th 1951 so if you're going with that date like think about that this guy isn't getting into wrestling until his mid-30s if that age checks out it's not like he's Mm. getting into this young and i mean he was he pretty much started with WWF and then is immediately sent to Memphis. And that's where he wrestles for a period of time as Soul Train Jones. And he's only there about four or five months. But during that time, I mean, he teamed with Rocky Johnson. They had a run with the tag titles there. Even had an AWA title match with Nick Bockwinkle. So if you woke up today thinking, man, did Nick Bockwinkle and Virgil ever have a match for the AWA heavyweight title? They did indeed. And then he is brought back to WWF and he is first like his first kind of formal character is Lucius Brown, which didn't have quite the staying power, but then is repackaged as as Virgil, the bodyguard for Ted DiBiase, which was the character that famously like this was Vince McMahon's idea of if I was going to be a character, this would be it. And Ted DiBiase was this incredible creation of the company and Virgil was the was the lackey for him and they did all of these vignettes many that I mean very heavily like racial overtones to them as well with the with the you know just the dynamic here up here that this rich white wealthy individual with his black bodyguard doing all of these demeaning tasks but he was the constant throughout that period involved in All the big million dollar man angles from the main event when Andre beat Hogan for the title and tried to buy the title off of Andre the Giant to set up WrestleMania four. And then you you ran it ran its course. And then they did the turn in 91 where he finally turned on him. And it was it was a significant turn that the audience got into because this had not just been some pairing for a couple of months and then you break them up. It was years that you had seen this guy just under under the thumb of Ted DiBiase. So you go back to that period and not to say they were like these, these mind blowing matches or anything, but Ted DiBiase was tremendous worker at the time. And Virgil was a very over babyface for that period. They put him with Roddy Piper sort of as his mouthpiece. So I would look at the peak of his career as that 91 run that he got with DiBiase. They did WrestleMania that year. They did SummerSlam and they were married to each other on the road. Like they just worked all year long in all the cities together and the rest of his run. Like he was, he was in the company through 94 and pretty much just a 
prelim to mid card baby face that would work against the heels and, you know, get, get the occasional um, television win here or there, but was kind of a, a undercard player and then leaves the company in 94 and he's on the independence pops up in WCW in 1996 and, of course, Virgil being the name that everyone just assumed was their little poke at Dusty Rhodes, Virgil Runnels. So he goes to WCW, and now he is Vincent. So this is when this man is realizing, okay, I'm going to have longevity in this industry, but I am going to be like the punchline. And he would become Vince, Vincent, later Shane. Um, he, he, he ran the gamut of different names. He certainly did. Yeah. One of the many names I think attached to the uh, NWO that um, you might have considered one too many, you know, that might have certainly watered down the brand. Um, And he was one of the earlier additions, too. It's not like they were at like 15 when they added him. I mean, they were still at the uh, I would say the compact level of NWO because he's there in 96 when it's still a relatively fresh character. I mean, one thing you can say about this guy, whether you're looking at him in 1988 or 1998 i mean dude didn't age a day so it's why i can believe such a variance of what his age could have been because hmm. even i mean he he had been in some poor health the last few years and you had seen him really start to age but i would say even a decade ago you looked at him it's not like this man had aged greatly over the course of these 35 years or so mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. I'm just pointing this out. The man had a lot of uh, staying power and yeah, was part of the NWO. It was uh, sort of, I wouldn't say anything too memorable that he was in. Then they put him in the West Texas Rednecks. uh, As we mentioned, Shane, I completely have a blank spot of this guy in 2000 when he was with Ernest Miller as Mr. Jones and then replaced by Ms. Jones, who I very clearly remember and had no clue that this was the replacement for Mr. Jones. There's only so much of WCW 2000 that I'm going to retain. And this, I trust that it happened. I read that in your uh, uh, bio today, and and I certainly had no recollection of it. I'm I'm sure there are a lot of notes um, in this man's career that... Do you remember him coming back with Ted DiBiase Jr. in 2010 in WWE? No, not really. I... I certainly did not come to mind. I did remember it when I, I watched the, the clips today. They tried to put him with Ted DiBiase Jr., but it was only to serve as he would be fired and replaced by Maurice. And that led to the historic pairing of Ted DiBiase Jr. and Maurice, which <laughs> mm-hmm. had uh, chemistry that, I mean, to this day, we look back on as the prototype for a male-female dynamic <laughs> of a heel really something that they were able to accomplish together um mm. could, could have used virgil for for that run uh, but that was kind of his last appearance with wwe and in recent years i mean this guy would just notoriously he would show up at conventions whether invited or not just set up his table he would be selling his eight by tens anywhere and everywhere from shows to conventions to subways and did a bunch of appearances for GCW, including the, their pay-per-view two years ago. And this is probably going to be the image that many attach with him. Wrestling superstar Virgil at a um, uh, very quiet convention. I mean, at this point, almost like an iconic photo. And I mean, I, I, 
I I don't know what he his immediate reaction to maybe learning about this meme would have been, but the man has certainly embraced it in many recent years. I mean, and, this uh, photo you pulled up is a signed copy, it. is it not? So I mean, yeah. hey, you got twenty bucks, he's going to sign just about anything for you. But yeah, and and when I think about virtual, especially in recent years, um, I I do more so think about a bit of a resurgence he's had in relevance, you know, for a, a modern fan base who, uh, whether or not you know um knowing him through the notoriety of a meme like this um found a, a new enjoyment i think out of just um how the man started to employ a different persona online and according to that slam article that you mentioned previously john we we know that he had nothing really to do with it i mean he had as much as much to do with the social media as the iron sheik did you know with, with his Nonetheless, um, hopefully, at least that provided maybe a, a little bit of, of money for, for the man, you know, towards his latter years. Um, certainly in, in video appearances, it, it gave him a few bookings, you know, that 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 made him, um, again, fun to watch and gave us a lot of entertainment. Yeah, I mean, he he really had his, his problems the last few years. A couple of years ago, he had two small strokes and he was also dealing with, with dementia. Um, Slam also did a story today and his sister had stated to them like uh, the stories of him having cancer were were not true, um, but he was dealing with, with other issues as well. I know they did a, a GoFundMe for him at, at one point to I think it was around the time he had the, the strokes as well. So, I mean, you know, it, it was someone that was still trying to uh, just carve out some form of income through professional wrestling. And I I, I never like to look at that as, you know. St stuff for comedy that I know Virgil really leaned into as well. Um, you hear a lot of stories with Virgil from, uh, you know, a lot of the independent talent that was around him seemed to have a lot of just like fun stories around him as opposed to the, this guy that was, um, it was sort of like th this guy, whether he was in or not uh, of the joke, it seemed to be he, he very much leaned into it as well and realized like that is his connection to this industry and that was sort of what he set out to do and do the convention circuit and uh, try and just, you know, for a guy that has not been on national television for over 20 years. Yeah, I had, had a brief AEW. Um, I don't know if you'd That's even right. call it yeah, run. He, but... he did the inner circle stuff as well, which I recall being like it was like some entertaining cameos that, that he did. And he did a few of them with, with uh, AEW. You're right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, it's troubling to maybe hear about some of the details of, of his dementia, you know, towards the latter st uh, stages of his life and, you know, hope, uh, especially like what uh, maybe a, a flirtation with homelessness as well. Um, you know, it, it again, maybe calls the question how much we're taking care of our um, people who, who have had, you know, uh, earlier careers in, in this industry. Um, but hopefully he, you know, um, wasn't suffering too bad um, towards these last few years. So our condolences to uh, Mike Jones, best known as uh, as Virgil. Next story is one that I, I think we, we assumed was a formality, and that is Billy Jack Haynes, who has now been charged with second-degree murder, and uh, this in regards to the February 28th death of his wife, Jeanette. Uh, multiple news organizations out of Oregon have re reported that he was released from hospital on Wednesday. 
He had been hospitalized after this kind of standoff with police when the death occurred and was hospitalized with injuries that were unrelated to the incident and had been in there since uh, February the February the 8th. And now he has been booked in the county detention center on second degree murder charge and unlawful use of a weapon. Uh, his wife, Jeanette, was 85 years old and her death has been ruled a homicide by a gunshot wound. And he is set to appear in court on Thursday. So I will see how this this moves forward in the sense of is this guy even going to be someone that can stand trial? Um, I think that would be the, the first question, uh, because certainly the, these charges very well, if found guilty, could be looking at the rest of his life in, in jail. Very, very dark story. Um, I I hope justice is served. Matt Riddle was on the MMA Hour on Wednesday with Ariel Helwani and was in studio. This is in uh, he was promoting the MLW shows that he is working on Thursday night in New York and discussed his exit from the WWE. He kind of, you know, addressed everything. He didn't go too much. He he never mentioned Samantha Tovel by name. But I mean, the guy's pretty adamant that these were false allegations against him and um you know, he talked, you know, in, in bits about the incident at JFK Airport, but also mentioned the failed drug test that he had in WWE. And he explained that this would have been in 2022. He ended up he admitted to going to a strip club and doing cocaine. And then the way the drug testing was in WWE was he said you would get tested either at the end of the month, beginning of the month. And in his case, it was both. So this was kind of like Brock Lesnar after UFC 200, where he got tested twice within a close enough period that the same substance showed up both times and cocaine can live in your system for about 30 days or so. So it was the case of having two tests that came back positive with cocaine. And so technically, though, that is two drug test failures. And he ended up getting uh, suspended and he went clean for 10 weeks, he said, then went out and quote unquote partied and failed another drug test, which would be number three, which when the was it also for was that also for cocaine? He just said partied and tested positive. So you can make that assumption. Um, And Hmm. then that's what led to him going to rehab per the request of the company. And he did 30 days in rehab. And then they wanted him to do another 30 days. And this is all when he disappears from television at the end of 2022. And so I guess he gets a little break. He goes home for like a week or something and then goes back and does the other 30 days. And that's shortly before he gets let go in 2023. But that is kind of his story of, you know, his his drug test failures. And I mean, it, it does bring into question what is there was a time that the wellness policy used to be public and for for people that are maybe were not following at that time like the company used to publicly announce every failure they never do that anymore but it was always like three strikes and you're gone from the the company now it's obviously to their discretion and i think we have seen adjustments to the the wellness policy over the years but uh, that that was the case with Matt Riddle and it's also a case of what is beneficial for the company's public profile you know that that, that uh, all those announcements came at a time when I think they really wanted to make sure the audience and the public knew that they were testing people uh, in the wake of Benoit and, and everything. And um, 
and Eddie, yeah, and Eddie, and publicizing the fact that you are testing very sort of strictly and and, and um, you know suspending people was good PR, uh, and then it get, maybe got to a point where enhancing suspensions became bad PR, and I suppose we're in that space right now. Yeah, I I don't know how much more you go into the allegations against him, other than I mean he he was very adamant that these were not true, and also later he did note the fact that. He doesn't have any uh, – this was in relation to talking about the Vince McMahon stuff, that he doesn't have any NDAs out because he's never needed to have um, any NDAs. So, I mean, if that was a question that people had, um, if you recall, uh, Samantha Tovell filed her suit and then dropped it about a year later. Um, I mean, that was just a line that Matt Riddle put in there, that there are no NDAs out there um, if anyone was – you know, curious about if if she would be allowed to speak about anything. There was also this line, and this again was in relation when they were talking about the Vince McMahon story. And I wanted to play the clip so you hear it in the context that he delivered it. But this was uh, Ariel asking him about Vince McMahon and if people in the locker room, if there were whispers about Janelle Grant, if people were aware of things that were going on. And this is Matt Riddle's answer, and we'll react to it after. Was this something that, like, did you ever hear about? Uh, this relationship or were there ever talks of it, whispers, rumors about him doing stuff like this, even some of the other accusations? Like, did the, the boys in the back know about never, this? I've never heard anything about Vince. I've seen certain people, I'm not going to mention names, but I've seen certain people make passes at certain female talent by saying, come to my locker room or et cetera, kind of like that creepy kind of mm. thing. And the, at least the woman I talked to didn't go and was above that. She's a stallion. And was like, I'm not doing that. And that, but like, like, here's my number. Come to my locker room mm. now. And that's where it ended, but it could have actually. Sure. And if that person was in fear of their job or wasn't as over as they are, they probably would have went there because they didn't, you know, what am I supposed to do? Damn, I probably would have went there. <laughs> you know, like, I just need the job. <laughs> okay, so the comment there that, I mean, you do have to, you know, we're, we're not going to speculate here. But the way that reads is that this was not just like a talent, you know, hitting on another female. It sounded like this was, you know, someone above that this would be in terms of if this person were not secure enough in their in their push or character about their job. I mean, it kind of paints the picture of somebody in some level of power here headlong or hitting on a female talent. Um, and I mean, this is, you know, it, it just kind of raises that that question as well about how prevalent this was involving individuals who had some influence and you know, women in the locker room. Hmm. Um, I'm going to have to maybe listen to the entire interview, maybe with a, a bit more of a of closer ear uh, before I can feel like I have anything constructive to maybe add to it. Yeah. Um, at this point, I, it sounds like a lot of information was, was gone through in this particular interview. And, yeah. And it's like it an like hour it and open. it's, it, it's a lot of different and, and it's Matt Riddle who is just, you know, going in many different directions uh, through mm -hmm. all of this. So if you do want to hear it, it is out on uh, today's show on the WWE talent front. So the wrestling observer newsletter is reporting that Tamatonga looks to be headed towards WWE and we also had the return of Sean Spears on Tuesday night's NXT program. And what did you think about these these two uh, additions to the WWE roster, Sean Spears at the NXT level, Tamatonga to be determined? 
I, I think, you know, in Tanatonga's case, somebody we've, we've been expecting um, with, you know, the OC going to NXT, it, it seems all but set up for his um, a, a arrival. And I think maybe myself and maybe a lot of people thought these three faces vignettes were directly leading to Tanatonga coming into the company. Uh, it turns out they were for Sean Spears. Um, that was one that was, I think, a bit more surprising for me because um, even though like I knew Sean, like we knew Sean Spears was uh, had exited AEW. Um, I don't know if I saw NXT as a destination for him, just given the fact that he is a bit older at this point. Forty-three. Um, how much? Forty-three. Forty-three. I mean, you know, he's also been a project of theirs that they've kind of like tried and didn't necessarily succeed with. But thinking about it a bit more, he probably offers a lot as a veteran down there to be able to help a lot of the younger talent that's there uh, to help build a lot of uh, the, the other talent, maybe in ways that we aren't even going to be able to see on on screen. So and, now and whether there's a coaching position that that he's going to be filling as as well, like that's a, mm -hmm. that's a question here. Yeah, when you look at I would say at both of them, I mean, it does tell you about sort of the, the mindset because. You know, Tamatonga himself, he's 41. Like, these are not people that have, you know, they they have significant careers behind them already. For a Spears, I think that someone like that in NXT, I don't think there, there's any harm in having that that veteran presence down there with a, a lot of the talent that you're you're talking about. Um, but at Tamatonga as well, like, it does tell you a mindset of, you know, 40 is not, like, that was the, that that was, that used to be the number that, you know, Vince McMahon would just kind of shy away from guys like when Hogan hit 40, when Savage hit 40, it used to be like that was that that was when when Brett ended up, you know, leaving the company when he was 40. That used to be the age that it was sort of on, you know, time to de-emphasize guys. And you certainly don't see that mindset now when it comes not that Tamatonga is coming in and is probably going to be a headline guy. But nonetheless, it's there's a lot of talent that they have and they are making a spot for a Tamatonga. I feel like there's a maybe a realization that you can't simply build NXT around youth, around you know NIL um, um, uh, athletes, and you need a lot of veteran presence in order to maybe uh, build those veteran or uh, sorry younger athletes around, and also to maybe maintain NXT sort of um, I don't know former status as like mini super indie that attracts a lot of like the sort of buzzed about talents that are uh, uh, free agents out there. Not necessarily saying either is, uh, you know, that we're talking about fits within that those sort of parameters, but I think um, they're willing to at least give everybody a chance. And I think at least um, putting Tamatanga with the OC, there is going to be Bullet Club um, sort of nostalgia out there oh. for somebody, okay, as, as little as I think it might exist for us. Somebody might still get excited at any sort of tease of like, you know, hey, this, you know, like, uh, wait. yeah, um, if there's a story to be told, then, you know, why not? We'll quickly go through the ratings. So Saturday night was Collision and... Not a good number at all for Collision. Second lowest of the year, only behind the Royal Rumble night. 385,000 viewers and a .11 in the demo. So they were down 22%. This was from two weeks ago because they did not have a show the week prior. And down 29% in 18 to 49. But in adults 18 to 34 from two weeks ago, they were down 52%. So with due respect to Junakiyama, he was, he was not bringing in the, uh, the 30, the 18, the 34 year old males or females. Um, surprisingly the, the demo, the one demo that did grow was men 35 to 49, which grew 9%. And 
yeah, this was a, this was not a great number. And this would continue the pattern that just because the WWE show is not running head to head, just being on the same day, I think it's still going to have an impact on people that they, they might watch the show and that's, that's their fill for the day. And I'm very curious for what uh, April 6th has, has in store for collision. That, that is going to be a very tough night for, for AW, but it's one night, but it is coming up. Raw on Monday did 1,738,000 viewers and a 0.57 lowest audience since January the 22nd. So naturally they were up in Canada. Peak segment was nine to nine fifteen, which it did have a Cody backstage segment, but not, you know, a significant point of the show that you would have even known. It was largely this Imperium Judgment Day segment that ended up getting up to 1,950,000 viewers. So, I mean, Gunther confirmed Raw. Oh, of course, yes. Um, how much does it do have to do with current competition? Like, what what's Raw's biggest competition um, on TV right now? I mean, their biggest competition on on Monday nights. I mean, they will. Add, it's the NBA. It's um, you know whatever sports is going on. Like, this is a relatively you know calmer sports calendar for WWE at this point. It's also the nine to nine fifteen segment, which is a pretty good hmm. um, quarter traditionally for WWE NXT um, has really cooled off of late. They were down to 570,000 viewers and a 0.16. So this was their lowest audience since the 4th of July, lowest 18 to 49 since August, and they were 10th on cable. So, I mean, this has coincided. There's a lot less of, you know, who's the main roster talent that could, that's going to show up every week, but you, you could never rely on that permanently either. Um, but this is at a time when you're traditionally building up for your big show and you do have this program in Carmelo Hayes and Trick Williams, but um, you know this this is not just a one week thing. Like NXT has kind of settled at, at this particular level. And the last thing was the A and E specials on the weekend on Sunday. The Randy Orton bio, three hundred seventy seven thousand viewers, point one one, and the Rivals episode between Triple H and The Rock, three hundred fifty one thousand and a point zero seven. I did get to see the Randy Orton um, piece, and it was it was a very interesting view on randy orton and a lot uh concerning his his drug abuse and overdosing um which is a, a story that that's it, it's been out there but i don't think he's ever spoken about it in such detail uh, as well but that's you know it's it's a story of a guy who was um you know the, the story of like this guy who has all this talent in the world um but has been self-destructive and it's it's been his his second wife that he has met and this latter part of his career that he has been able to get his head on straight. But wait, I know you are always a fan of the WWE B-roll of stories and finding clips that match the story. There is an unbelievable one where Jim Cornette is explaining that this guy was not popular in OVW where he would just say, I'm, I'm just here for the money. Do they find a workout tape in the in OVW where Randy is off camera and they have it subtitled and you hear him literally saying off camera I'm just here to get my money <laughs> the, wow. the, the clip that they dug up here <laughs> and when they're talking about Randy Orton not being great with fans dude they shoot all these guys for all these autograph sessions and they just got a bunch of like him just being an asshole to fans it's it's remarkable to watch just the production of a WWE piece where to me, the, the peak was still like the Hardys being caught on camera, pretty much talking about drug use and 
them just holding on to this clip and then using it later. Um, but this one was uh, like when they pulled out this clip from like the Davis arena, it was just like, Jesus Christ. Like it feels like you are monitored 24 seven by this company. Like don't ever say something in their auspices and not think it's being recorded or filmed somewhere. Well, I'd love to know what the cataloging system might be for, you know, whatever intern has they've, they've had in the past, go through these tapes and, and log every single term so that we type in, um, I don't know, Jet. Hardy Boys and substances, um, something like that might come up here. I mean, that's a lot of credit to the production. It sounds like these are, at this point, maybe our, our versions or the, the modern-day versions of what we used to get through the DVDs. Yeah, it is. Only now, like, we sell them to other networks. So, mm-hmm. I mean, that's the advantageous part for them. So, I think they're doing Sergeant Slaughter this weekend. and um, So, worth yeah. watching this series is what you're saying. I mean, I, I I didn't watch Rivals, but I watched the the Legends biography. It was I think it's it's going to be contingent on the subject. Sergeant Slaughter could be a really entertaining one. I mean, they have all the Mid Atlantic footage of him, and there's you know to me I, I'm I'm much more interested in the the pre um, Iraqi sympathizer angle of Slaughter's career because I think that's a more under focused part of his AWA run, his first WWF run. Um, th- th- there's a lot there for. Uh, a slaughter bio and i'm trying to think i think they're doing one on ddp um i don't have all the subjects in front of me but yeah depending on the subject scott hall scott hall is one uh, as well uh roman reigns davy boy smith it looks like on this graphic right okay so those are all coming up in the uh, in the near weeks and another interesting note is that if you are in the u.s you don't even need uh a and e on your cable system you can log on to a and e's site and there's no sign up. You can just stream A and E on your laptop. And I said to myself, "Damn it! I wish I lived in the U.S." And then I realized there's a way that I can still view this and live in Canada. Way, can you tell me more? It is 2024, and tracking technology from advertisers, ISPs, and hackers is getting more sophisticated than many of us can understand. Something you can do to give yourself a bit more peace of mind this year is to protect your browsing by investing in a trusted VPN like NordVPN. Voted Best VPN for Privacy of 2023 by Security.org, Nord is one of the most established and reputable VPN providers in the field. NordVPN is also something I use every day to access geo-blocked online streaming services like AEW+. By far the best way of watching AEW programming commercial-free with on-demand access to AEW's entire TV archive. But perhaps the most value I've gained from using Nord has been the ability to unlock cheaper prices to online content from other parts of the world. And from now until March 20th, when you sign up at NordVPN.com slash postwrestling, receive four bonus months at discount pricing on all two-year plans. Plus, users in the U.S., Canada, U.K., and Australia receive an Uber Eats voucher valued from 10 to $30 with their standard, plus, complete, or ultimate plan. Again, that's NordVPN.com slash postwrestling. Sign up for as low as $2.91 a month and enjoy some free Uber Eats, along with all the benefits of a premium VPN like Nord's. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then 
place a $5 wager on any sport, you'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Best one yet. Bravo. Dynamite we go. Huntsville, Alabama. Russell Tits reporting 3,143. I'm not How gonna... did you watch Dynamite tonight, by the way? NordVPN, dude. I Way has hooked me up with this thing. It's a, it's a game changer, okay? I, I will sound like a shill stating this, but man, um, what I was doing before was just, I couldn't do it anymore. And now it is. It's, it's like... So you watched, you watched on fight, commercial free? Yes, commercial free. It's a real different tone during the commercials. Like when the, yeah. when Taz is on commercial, dude, dude just flips. Like he knows what my picture in picture material is. And mm-hmm. then when we're back on the broadcast, there is a very noticeable, like they just they're their very breaks. they're far more looser when they're off air. I mean, they need to kind of rest at that point too, right? And they're not just kind of like you know, um, but uh, they're not not talking but the energy is certainly lower they're a little bit more playful with each other and they know i guess what they're you know talking it's about like a director's commentary for your your fan base that is going out of their way for this kind of a service like you're mm-hmm. getting more than just traditional commentary like it's a lot looser feel but it, mm-hmm. it's very distinct like when they come back from from, from break and, mm-hmm. and the tonal change so yeah it was announced over over 3100 tickets distributed I will say up until like Flair and Sting arrived, I you could have told me there were 15 people in this arena at times. This was one of the least heated dynamites, I think, ever. It was so quiet for some periods. But it didn't really hit me, maybe more so until like the women's match at 930. But um, I suppose Dude, the even... opening trios match, there were like just some dead periods. And you've got like six stars in this in in this match. I was... Like, it wasn't even a case to me of the crowd being burned out. Like, I sensed it right from the beginning. And, you know, the I don't think we're at the period where Dynamite, like, the crowds are just such a huge part of the show like they were in years past. Mm-hmm. But not like this. I just thought this was a really, really low energy crowd. Um, and, it, and it affected the show in s- several of the matches. But we're out uh, to start with Hangman Page, who comes out on his crutch. And they show the footage of last week of his counter to the muscle buster landing on the ankle. This guy did a great job. Um, And he's on the floor and we come back into the ring and he gives this heartfelt speech about when AEW started, it was my chance to rise to people's expectations. And I thought I did that by winning the title in 2022. It's still the biggest accomplishment of my career. I didn't want it to be a three-way for the title, but I cannot compete this Sunday. And the crowd is all sad. Swerve comes out. Talks about how they've gone to war over the past six months, and I might have crossed the line a few times, including your uh, inc- including your doorstep. I mean, that was quite the line he crossed. But he didn't expect this to happen and targeted Paige because of what you've accomplished, and I do respect you. You can't escape fate, and you can't stop destiny, and my destiny is becoming champion this Sunday. 
Before Paige can respond, Samoa Joe is out to speak some truth and says, I'm the real man around here. Hangman, or should I say, hop along. Both of you are hungry, but you're also accomplished wrestlers. But the only reason that you're hungry is because I'm starving your ass. And there will be no more meals come dinner time as long as I'm champion. And I'm going to whip one or both of your asses. Swerve explains, I went from being unemployed to headlining pay-per-views, goes over his attack at Buddy Wayne's school, breaking into another man's career, and I'm a career maker and a career changer. Joe, maybe you can go back to commentary wearing a poncho. And Swerve is on the verge of making history on Sunday. And with that, Hangman is standing behind him and nails him with the crutch. He reveals he's fine and says that Swerve will never be champion I thought the segment was great. It was fantastic. Uh, and uh, I mean, nothing will really touch Mark Henry's, you know, pink salmon jacket um, in terms of uh, sort of sentimental, emotional, you know, baby face promo leading to a swerve. Uh, but I thought Paige did a really great job. And I think it would have been that much better um, had everything maybe gone as planned. And we didn't know that this was a work going into it. Um I almost feel like uh, I like, and I I don't fault reporting like it's the job of a reporter. I almost wish Jerry Lynn didn't confirm that it was a work when he complained about the reporting, um, and we could have all at least you know bought into the speculation that much more. Whatever, it's hard to get around it. We can only maybe appreciate it for what they were intending on doing, and I thought the intent was wonderful. Down from Hangman's cell of it all yet last week, um, telling the camera people not to shoot him to everything that 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 they built to today like page did a really really great job here i i thought you you could argue this is the best thing on the show i thought it was a really strong segment for for the for the night and it's uh, you know we already know page is a, is a heel at this point but this again continues to further uh cement that and it continues to baby face the home invader um swerve who i mean we all just we've all we all just don't mind you know he really wanted the championship so we could really forget the the home invasion now the one thing i will say is that okay if this was his master plan swerves no hangman's page he Mm -hmm. comes out into the ring is he so confident that swerve is going to come out here these things tend to work out he was just left out there i was like okay am i out of the pay-per-view did i just talk myself out of this these things things usually tend to work out um yeah well Good for him. The plan worked to perfection. The Young Bucks arrive earlier in the day. They run into Renee, and she asks him about the meeting with Ric Flair. Nick says it went great, and they can't wait to see Sting tonight and thank him for all his contributions and conduct his exit interview as they show off their white bats. And that would send them for hours looking for this man. Their last stop of the night ends up being his dressing room that is labeled Sting. But before that, they checked every ounce of this building. It's a big building. I guess so. I guess so. Hmm. Um, There was actually a great moment. You could barely even hear him. But when when Matt gets out of the vehicle, when they arrive, it's just so subtle under his breath where he's just like, this place sucks. And it was just a great, I thought like rewind it. It was so uh, hard to decipher. It made it even better. Moxley, Danielson and Claudio against Eddie Kingston and FTR. Danielson tries unsuccessfully to start a he's a bum chant at Eddie Kingston did not get over the BCC work over cash Wheeler. Then 
they work over Dax Harwood for a long period. And this is when the crowd was just on their hands. And thus this, this, this was a little just so, so a lot of what you're watching might be through commercial break as well, where, where the action is is not going to be as exciting. Well, the the audience was, you know, I'll say consistent here. Um, this was definitely during the break, because as Moxley gets uh, a figure four applied, Dax reverses it, grabbing the rope. So Taz gives us an anecdote of a time when a guy was trying to get out of a submission of Taz's. So he stuck his pinky finger up the nostril of Taz. And it was at this moment that I became a lifelong subscriber for NordVPN. I will never miss <laughs> a picture-in-picture anecdote from Taz. Kingston yes. and Danielson then come in, and uh, they get into this huge chopping exchange. Moxley is in. Kingston pops up. They're going at it with big strikes, and the action is intensifying. And then we get the giant swing dropkick combo to Eddie Kingston, followed by a pile driver. Eddie is motionless, but Dax makes the save. And we get a procession of different uh, moves here. The Urikin to Danielson, Steinerizer by, the FT- by FTR onto Kingston. They go for the cover. Both Claudio and Mox dive in. All six men are down, and we've got the BCC each going to apply a submission. And then the baby faces get to their feet, rapid fire chops onto the BCC members, and they hit the shatter machine on Claudio. He rolls out, Dax is hit with a brain buster, Danielson with a busaiku, and then a shoulder capture suplex. It comes down to Danielson with Kingston, and he stomps the head of Eddie Kingston before applying the triangle and starts flexing. Like he's Nate Diaz as Eddie Kingston goes out. This one went 21 minutes and 53 seconds. So Danielson submits Eddie Kingston, who passes out uh, to set us into the pay-per-view match on Sunday. I find it like pretty unusual to see such a a, a clean, dominant finish of a babyface heading into a pay-per-view. There is no cheating at all involved in, in this finish, but it works really well for this particular storyline. I mean, this was like the type of thing that was almost... Um, very deflating for a crowd that um wasn't was really deflated. that lively <laughs> to begin with but i thought the finish itself like was a, a perfect setup for the type of storytelling that they're they're trying to to present here of eddie kingston and his self-confidence heading into the this match with danielson and danielson calling him a bum um i thought it was the type of finish that like really set up the stakes for how important it is for eddie to beat danielson so that he can answer you know the the sort of self self destructive criticisms um i i really like the match and maybe it's for that reason um that i was so enamored with the action itself that i didn't really notice the crowd as much but i think the bcc are just simply such a great heel trios team where their style and pace are just relentless and just so much fun to watch you know so even though like brian enters a part-time schedule i i hope these these three at least don't break up from this group and that we occasionally get these matches maybe into their fifties and even sixties. I want to see Danielson and Atlanta senior. That's what I want. Uh, that could be fun too. Yeah, no, it was, it was a good match. Um, it to me overcame the crowd part of the, the story. And they were explaining this in the match is that Eddie Kingston is not the same guy. He was even four years ago. He is someone that can now uh, control his, his anger and his self doubt and I think doing a finish like this, I hope Saturday we get a promo from Eddie Kingston where now he has been shaken. He is doubting himself after such a decisive loss, um, after he's been on this big role and the guy who has been this elusive capture for him submits him in this way. And you could get this, you know, Eddie Kingston doubting himself. And mm-hmm. I mean, I hope he gets like five minutes on Saturday to really emphasize that. 
it, it it's got i mean it already has i think it been a pretty well told story but it's got the potential to be you know taken that much uh, further the day before the pay-per-view so uh, we hope for a big eddie kingston promo danielson also looks into the camera saying that eddie kingston is getting choked out on sunday we saw cmll footage of chris jericho as corazon de leon and explaining that Atlantis was his mentor and he requested this match with Atlantis Jr. that he is going to do the same for him that Atlantis did for him 30 years ago in CMLL. So Jericho is interviewed here, explains being thrown into the deep end by Paco Alonso and that Atlantis was a mentor and a friend and he's going to give Atlantis Jr. a lesson in violence tonight. I... I think it, there was a re- really nice little story that that set up the reason for this particular match. Ideally, you would get an interview segment and a video package like this maybe the week ahead to really maximize some of the anticipation and some some online buzz that you might be able to attract for it. Um, but overall, I mean, it was still a positive to see. Shivani welcomed Will Ospreay, who has finished his obligations with New Japan, went to Barbados for 10 years with the missus and got pissed. Lost his bags. Uh, Ten uh, days. Ten days, yes. And then they found his bags. And look at me. I look like Kermit the Frog on leg day in my green tracksuit. This is like the most, like, Osprey has become a very charismatic individual, but this was him. um, This was as much him coming out and saying, I am ready for weekly American television, this segment. Um, He said that he's here for full-time work, goes over his wins against Orange Cassidy, uh, Kenny Omega and Chris Jericho in AEW. And then out comes the Callis family and they're all booed. Don Callis says, this is going to be the match of the decade with the two best in the world. It's like Jordan Pippen going hard at practice, but coming together to win championships. It doesn't matter who wins the Callis family wins and asks the two to shake hands, but there's tension between them going into this match and the fans are chanting for Osprey, not for Takeshita. And uh, that was our, our setup here for, what should be an incredible match on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I thought Osprey came across really well here. You know, mm-hmm. um, th- there might've been some questions uh, about whether or not what we've seen out of him uh, on the microphone in New Japan would have directly translated to weekly American te- television. I don't think there's really any question about it at this point. Like the man has come such a long way in terms of charisma to the point where I think he immediately comes into AEW feeling so fully formed and and so sure of himself and he's got such a unique voice and I think a real interesting comfortable playfulness with the crowd as well that I just I I I, I really do wonder how he developed it you know especially not really be, being given that same level of mic time um in New Japan for instance but he comes in feeling immediately like a top player that you could do a whole lot of different storytelling for uh on, on AEW and I I mean obviously presented as a babyface clearly here and somebody who even though he's associated with the Callis family wasn't exactly you know nodding in agreement with every single one of Don Callis's words so uh expect the breakup to happen at Revolution if not maybe further teasing uh for for a bigger you know moment of a, of a breakup down the road how many people have to leave the Catless family before they have to redo that painting for the entrance, which does feature both Will Ospreay and Sammy Guevara? Uh, right. And um, Kyle Fletcher, who at least at this point um, might uh, might be facing some visa issues or something. I mean, Photoshop is, you know, a, a, a great tool these days. It's very advanced. 
Renee is with Eddie Kingston, but he doesn't even get a word out because the Young Bucks are on their hunt for Sting and don't realize they've walked into a live shot. And Nick threatens Kingston for talking crap on Collision and inform him, maybe you can work on the presentation. And they talk about the potential of adding a dress code. And Taz mentions, I was part of a dress code. It's not fun. Is that in reference to some something? WWE. Dress code as in um, like him as a commentator or just in general? There, there was a No, it was like everybody with like the exception of The Undertaker had to abide by the dress code. In Which was what? What did they have to wear? Ah, they had to, it was like business casual and it was like no matter who you were outside of like take there was Except very the undertaker so a taker could have worn what a motorcycle jacket t-shirt taker taker could wear his um you know attire that could both be considered work attire and i'm attending a kid rock concert attire <laughs> okay all right renee uh the then we go to Orange Cassidy and Nick Wayne for the international championship with the patriarchy in Nick Wayne's corner. And Nick Wayne hit a, a Topicon hero across the ring over the corner. And Cassidy is thrown into the step. So he would sell his back throughout the entire match. Wayne is uh, doing the Orange Cassidy kicks before Cassidy pops up and just super kicks him, nails him with his PK. And then Wayne ducks an orange punch, lands the German, and then gets leap, uh, leaps up and gets caught by a br- beach break for a two count. Um, there's a big pop here after Christian Cage crotches Cassidy and Bryce asks, did he just fall? And then ejects the entire patriarchy, which, I mean, this crowd, they loved it. Huntsville, they were, they were here for Sting. They were here for ejections. That was those were two things on their on their docket for tonight. But then Taven and Bennett appear ringside. Wayne capitalizes with a dragon suplex. So Rocky and Trent run down. And as Wayne exposes the turnbuckle, Daniel Garcia appears. If you're keeping track of this, um, Daniel Garcia distracts Nick Wayne. He turns around and is hit with the orange punch. And Orange Cassidy retains in 11 minutes. A lot of people involved here. Um, but before I could even write that. Roderick Strong ran in and attacked Orange Cassidy and gets sent off by Rocky mm-hmm. Romero and Trent Beretta. Fitness was definitely a bit convoluted and, and almost groan-inducing, groan but um, maybe I'd give them a little bit more leeway seeing it's this is a go-home show and the end result of all of these matches is to take us towards the pay-per-view and they tried to do both of them here, both um, you know, the Cassidy match as well as the uh, Garcia versus Christian match here in one go. Um, Big takeaway for me in this match was just how incredible Nick Wayne is. I mean, um, that's really no surprise, but it's a reminder that at 18, he is already this good. He's moving so well. Now he's showing, I think, a lot of them added. mm, He's doing all the posing after the moves. Yeah, there a lot of added charisma as a heel. And he's immediately got this like very smarmy sort of like cocky overconfident attitude that um i'm really buying into i think being a heel has been really really good for him under christian so it felt like this was a match designed to really showcase him and i thought they were totally successful with it renee is with the bang bang scissor gang and jay white is now all in on this group and they make a joke about max caster if anyone noticed the rap on saturday which was a very painful live television moment and uh you know just just owned it and joked about it and we're going to get Austin Gunn and the Acclaim teaming up on Saturday's collision. Yeah, yeah. And Austin has kind of been doing a thing where he's suggesting these sort of teams and they keep ignoring him or thinking that they're bad ideas while they basically suggest the same teams and they all love it or somebody else suggests anyway. Yeah, it was I, Austin I, suggesting Austin Gunn and the Acclaimed and Bowen said, what about the Acclaimed and Austin Gunn? Sure, yes. 
we all know where this is headed. It's a feud between these two factions. It's just like they did with MGF and Cole. But man, I have not really found the dynamic between these six nearly as interesting. Uh, and maybe that just comes down to like the lack of creativity in these sort of backstage interview segments. You know, like this is the type of group that I think are made for outside vignettes or or something like that. As corny as like, you know, going to the Chinese restaurant was for like MJF and Cole. I think it fits the tone of these six perfectly, but they just kind of give us this every single week. And I'm, I haven't really been that enthused by it all. Chris Statlander and sky blue. This is the rubber match between them with a win a piece. And Chris does a headstand in the corner, which is Ultimo Dragon here, and gets just shoved to the apron and knocked off. But then Statlander lifts her up for this military press and just walks across the floor and dumps her onto a bunch of fans. This was a great spot. And we go to the break. Uh, Blue comes back, goes for a cover after a neck breaker, and they're fighting on the edge when Statlander ends up hitting a German suplex onto Blue. Julia Hart is checking on her and then stares at Statlander. So Willow Nightingale steps up to Julia. And then there's a drop toehold by Blue that sends Chris into the steps, follows with a Canadian destroyer and super kick in the flo- in the ring, then an inside cradle for a two count. Statlander hits the iconoclasm and then Hathaway shows off a chain and offers it to Statlander. But Willow's telling her, don't use it. But in the distraction, Statlander turns around and Julia Hart is there with a belt shot and the referee is dealing with Stokely. So it leads to the code blue and sky blue wins in nine minutes and 40 seconds with the idea that Stokely Hathaway keeps screwing up uh, when he's trying to help. Yes, yes. I thought the match was really good between these two. You know, they they were very smooth in there. I think they both have really interesting movesets. It was hard hitting. And um, Heat, as usual, you know, for a 9.30 match uh, with the women's mid-card division, it was not that strong, maybe especially so given this particular crowd. Um, but the match itself, I thought, was was really, really good. And um, I I think they could use more support, as a lot of the, the mid-card can, um, in the form of, like, airtime out of the ring on Dynamite, similar to, again, a lot of the mid-card. Yeah, this is largely this... Stokely, Chris Statlander, Willow stuff's been playing out on Collision and and Rampage. I thought they were going to be going the uh, the other way here and setting up Statlander and Julia Hart potentially for just as an additional match for for Sunday, but not going that way. This match was so impressive. It also was the subject of the Intuit TurboTax move of the night, which was the belt shot and code blue, a much safer move of the night. A bit a bit of a better choice this this week. Yeah. The Young Bucks continue their search, and they arrive at Sting's dressing room. What an idea. Matt stops Nick before they enter, reminding him that Sting sounded crazy angry last week. So let's be mindful. And they open up this room that is full of bats hanging from the ceiling, which I guess which was a um, uh, foreboding for what was to descend from the ceiling later. You think Sting took the effort to, uh, um, I don't know, string I think up all these bats? I think he's the night early to Huntsville to <laughs> do his, like, paper mache um, setting up. Like, this, this would have been, this is an easy, like, two-hour job. Oh, yeah, no doubt. You got to make Just getting sure. all these bats. Like, where do you go and get, like, you know, Costco is not selling you, like, a, you know, team bats. They're not selling, like, black baseball bats either. So you probably no. have to spray paint them, have to, like, Definitely. you know, buy your fishing line, hook them. Put the red light, splash the red light up there. On Friday, they are plugging the countdown to revolution will feature never before seen footage of sting in new Japan pro wrestling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So I guess um, we'll find out how much footage they managed to grab of Sting from various places. There might various have... places in New Japan. That's it, way. I wonder Maybe. if TNA, you know, TNA is also a, a place where yep. they can hit yeah. up. Yeah, TNA. They, I'm sure TNA could could lend them uh, some stuff. Maybe whatever uh memphis is out there that they could maybe uh track down um and that's that's about it any any other promotion throughout his career i mean not that that is not owned the libraries like when you go through mid-south jim crockett promotions and wcw i mean that's the lion's share but you're right about tna like that it's just like so much of like what you would consider nostalgic sting footage you're not thinking of tna you're thinking of surfer sting you're saying you're thinking of you know, 80s and early 90s a lot, and they're not going to have access to that beyond this New Japan stuff. That, well, they might have to just rely a lot on, on uh, uh, still photos from uh, Mike Lano. Um, shout out Mike Lano. <laughs> Dr. Mike Lano. Yeah. Um, Mike there, Andrea. Yeah. There might have been at least some speculation from people wondering if they had negotiated something with the WWE because of this poster that they um, um, uh, uh, um, created to promote one of these um, – shows whether or not it's tonight i can't really bring it up right now but it okay. did show still footage of certain rep matches now these could be photos as well from like his wcw run um but it would really surprise me if like they got any sort of wcw rights we'll see we'll see um you know the AEW they did when when they did that john cena appreciation night i mean AEW did make make available you know several several performers if you were going to, you know, cash in a favor for for that, this would be the time to do it. Mm-hmm. Jericho against Atlantis Jr. Um, Atlantis Jr. is out with the historic light heavyweight championship with his 61-year-old father in his corner. And Jericho is out and is he is pretty much playing uh, Chris Jericho of like 1992 here. And Jericho gets the walls on, but Atlantis Jr. makes it to the rope. And then Jericho starts trying to undo his mask and gets kicked away. And then he goes over and is caught by Atlantis, who puts the towel around Jericho's neck to choke him on the rope. Um, I did not sense that Jericho's life was in danger here with this choke. Well, he choked him like around the back of the neck too yeah it was um it's more of a massage than a, i was gonna say like this was, it felt like more like a, of a mid-ring adjustment that he was getting like mid-match mm. um so then they go to the floor and atlantis jr sets up the 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 steps and goes to lift jericho for a power bomb Ooh. take two he he lifted him again if i'm jericho i'm like you know what let's let's ixnay this one but it was not a powerbomb spot instead he was just reversing it to send atlantis jr into the steps um but then jr counters a superplex lands the frog splash they trade big chops and then there's a wheelbarrow german by atlantis jr for a two count and taz explains you know i tried that suplex back in the day it's not a great suplex because you're really low on the guy so that when you drop him you're not doing much much damage i'm not trying to bury him i'm just saying they're like yeah 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 we understand we understand i love this <laughs> so then jericho they're on the turnbuckle and he hits this like face buster off the top which they they tie back to the video package that aired and use utilizing this move on Atlantis um, back back in their heyday. So this was a callback spot. Um, This was funny. Like the crowd was, was not that crazy for this. 
and they're very quiet. And then like Atlantis Jr. just like signals to them and they're, they start like, this is awesome. Um, it's like, say something. Yeah. Okay, we've got this. <laughs> so like this happens in, in, in like wrestling where um, their qu- crowds are quiet for like an entire match. And then they might break into a "this is awesome" chant, and I—I I mean, it, you know—they like made it to eight minutes. Let's give them their due. Or it could just simply be a crowd that maybe was a bit more sparse and and maybe not as vocal when during downtimes that were actually into the match. We just couldn't really tell. Or they could have just been, you know, upon sort of like prompt reacted to, to whatever they were asked. Atlantis Junior. ducks the Judas effect, gets him up for the Atlantida. And it's countered. Jericho lands on the feet and applies the walls, pulls him into the center away from the rope. And his father throws in the towel at 12 minutes and six seconds. Jericho gets the victory here and then holds up Atlantis and Atlantis Jr. Checks on him, hugs Atlantis Sr. And uh, and that was it. There was no like post-match angle or anything like that. Um, Just kind of a a match that they explained that Jericho requested. And and I'm sure that was legit. That was probably the whole story to this was this was just a match Jericho wanted to have. And that was that felt very much like a one off, like on its own island type of uh, match for Chris Jericho that had nothing at all to do with anything else going on in AEW or Revolution. Um, We I don't think Jericho is even on. Well, he's in the meat madness, The, the scramble. Yeah, yeah. Which is no longer beat madness. No, due to due to injuries, it's now just madness. It's a scramble match. No meat. Uh, that'll be delayed. It's a vegetarian to uh, madness. Wait, yeah. wait. Who who's injured? They, I mean, Tony Khan did not state, but I guess you know, um, you know, I assumed Keith Lee was going to be in that match. Um, okay. You know, we never get status updates on on these people, but um, hmm. the match is now an all-star eight-man scramble with Jericho, Hobbs, Wardlow, Archer, Hook, who does not qualify as, as meat. I, uh, I I mean I I would I would classify he wrestles like a a meat guy. Okay, Brian Cage, and then two others to qualify. One being the winner of Magnus, not uh, Brutus Magnus, uh, and Matt Seidel, which has already been taped and will air on Rampage. Uh, you can read the winner, and then Saturday's Collision will have Penta, Dante Martin, and Brian Keith in a three-way for the last spot, and thus Sean Stasiak is not going to have a spot on this. Because I, <laughs> if they had left the mystery man for Sunday, uh, that's why I'm not booking wrestling because that that would have been my call. So um, I, it's not I, madness. So really, you, you got to save that for the meat madness match itself. save meat madness for for a bigger show maybe yeah. maybe he was the one that wasn't available they're like we can do this without keith lee but we're not <laughs> doing meat madness without sean stasiak. sean stasiak so i'm actually in contact with somebody who uh like runs into sean stasiak regularly at uh at his local gym <laughs> and um sean stasiak we know has um at least tried to campaign for it on on social media to be a part of this beat madness match and oh really i mean i don't know if they're they're willing to listen nor do i know if he's an active wrestler in, in any capacity at this point but um that's the update uh just maybe going back to this jericho match you know um crowd reactions for for it were really not that big whatsoever um and I don't know if the match was really all that impressive, despite the, you know, this is awesome chant. Like, I, I feel like there, we have sort of a standard for these luchadors from CMLL. And I I thought Atlantis looked maybe a lot slower and honestly a, a little bit average without the wow factor. 
what it had going for it though was the history and depth of the story but because it all happened um i think relatively quickly i don't know if there was enough time to convey like maybe the significance of all of this for a, a greater audience in my opinion yeah i could see that like there was certainly like um a, a story to this match that 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 you had um you know i i, I thought the match that they, they had they they had a lot of of good ideas here uh some of the execution w- was off um at times like again i i thought it was a fine match for like just a, a television match for for what it was um and then for rampage you've got Seidel and magnus and then ruido against claudio castagnoli so these were again taped on saturday after collision because they were doing collision tonight uh the tapings because there is not a saturday uh, taping that they're doing the night before collisions got the uh, the three-way we mentioned uh tony storm and diana peraza will appear and then a uh, another um eight man it's orange cassidy trent hook and daniel garcia against christian cage brian cage roderick strong and kill switch the two cages together bound to happen at some point man this uh excalibur rundown Oh, was dude, they made of... it so hard for him because he had to go from pay-per-view to TV, pay-per-view, TV, and yeah. he's trying. Now we morph over to the pay-per-view. Like, this dude had to get into like, they made it so confusing. He had to get into a DeLorean to try to, you know, get this entire rundown out. And uh, they're trying something new. They're they're trying to contain all the storylines within their own sort of segment. So if you're talking about Orange Cassidy, you're going to talk about what or you know the best friends or a six man or whatever on Collision before you talk continue with the with the Revolution rundown. But it just didn't work. It completely tripped Excalibur up, and it made a really tough job already that much that much more difficult. I thought. Yeah, th- this is, would be an example of just overthinking these these you know plugs like you're just telling people tune in friday this is what you're going to see saturday this is what you're going to see and hopefully people can put the pieces together final minutes of the match uh, of the show it's all built around sting's final dynamite which tony khan did stipulate it is his last dynamite as an active performer that he will likely make many more appearances in the future young bucks come out and there's some fans with sting masks on you know where this is going Darby Allen is one of the fans and nails the young bucks, uh, but they take over after a PK from Nick and they attack with the bats. They hit him with the EVP trigger and wave down Ric Flair to come down. And you think Rick is going to attack Darby Allen, but instead pokes Nick in the eyes, attacks Matt and a low blow is delivered to Ric Flair and they beat him down. So Ric Flair is <laughs> Jesus Christ. Look at this. Um, Ric Flair is back as a baby face in time for Sunday and then Sting's music plays, and the place goes nuts, and they walk up the ramp, the Bucks do, to await Sting's arrival, but he repels from the ceiling, and he comes down, and Sting attacks them with his bat. Darby hits a coffin drop to the floor, and a scorpion death drop to Nick. Ends the show, sending people into the retirement match on Sunday. Yeah, we got a, a Sting repel uh spot here i would assume for the very last time in in the man's life and um i i still feel relatively uneasy about seeing something like this to this day but, but for like it's a, not even watching this way that like i have a concern that they're doing this like dangerously like i'm sure it's very safe it's just i don't think if i just cannot ever watch this and it's not taking you back to such a such a horrible memory mm-hmm. that um you know but to that to that end though 
tons of people enjoyed this as a nostalgic bit with Sting. The crowd enjoyed it. So I certainly imagine I'm not representative of, of the whole that instantly and and forever. I will only think of Owen Hart when I when I see this. But that's that's not for everyone. It, it was the same reaction I had. Um, and but, you know, listening to the reaction tonight, I, I they don't went wild think... for this. And yeah. online people were really into this. Like, like this is a very iconic version of Sting that they, mm-hmm. everyone equates with, with the character from a golden period in wrestling. I totally get it. It looked really cool. Got a great reaction. And um, uh, it really was kind of the draw or at least like the the, the main sort of like thing you come out of the segment with. This didn't necessarily advance the story or build on that much heat in any sort of way. But you got to see Sting repel from the rafters one last time. Everything that they did with Ric Flair in this entire run felt like a total waste of time. He added nothing at all to any of these segments, uh, nor any of the intrigue for for the, these matches. I think if you had suggested like him actually playing heel, so that we there was a promise of some sort of interaction between Sting and Flair at the pay per view, that might have been something. But this just kind of like it didn't. What if anything, you would have thought they would have saved the spot for the pay per view, and the fact they got it out of the way here tells me like he's going to have a minuscule like role. Yeah. Like, I imagine they're just going to have a lot of guests in the crowd that are, you know, contemporaries of Sting and Flair being one of them. Like, that's the only role I see him for Sunday. Like, I like if you're going to do physicality with Flair, I'm not doing it on the TV beforehand if I have something for the pay-per-view plan. So hmm. I don't think the match needs it. I agree with you. I don't think this lead up has been anything like i don't see flair having added too much to this whole build up he like, brought them a, i think he brought the company a lot of criticism actually mm-hmm. you know um but you know like tony says it cost them nothing because all they had to do was put the energy drinks on on the on the desk but still um i don't think he added really anything at all to the sting sting run so that was dynamite um as a go home show, like I, I didn't think this was like one of the stronger dynamites. Um, I really enjoyed the opening segment. I think, you know, the end, this crowd was here for Sting. And I think that this is like this pay per view on paper, it looks like it could be one of the best AEW shows. There is a lot, um, on this show, but it's, it's going to be the Sting retirement that is like where this show does. If, anything above like your normal like 135,000 number like anything above that it's all on the sting retirement and i have no idea what the upper bound limit could be that it's not like you're just the day of the show do i want to watch a great wrestling show you're going to get a great wrestling show but is it going to connect with people in the sense of do i want to watch sting's last match believing it's the retirement and you want to watch something of historical value as a wrestling fan it's one of those moments that promises to like we talked about with the Ric Flair retirement match that or the first what would was supposed to be the retirement match against Shawn Michaels. I mean, it's one of those moments that transcends the fiction of professional wrestling. If you want to see Sting's last day on the job as a professional wrestler, you're going to pay a ticket to watch this, no matter how you might feel about AEW, no matter how you might feel about the WWE, whatever. If you are a fan who has at all respected this man's career that this is why you would watch the show um and yeah like all i need to know is that Braden and davy are actually considering driving down to greensboro really to to go to this live that that tells you i think everything you need to A know drive? about yes yes north carolina is really far yeah they've calculated it 12 hours 
And oh, um, nah, that's not crazy. I they've spoken enough about it and they've tweeted enough about it that I think they're actually doing okay. it. So, well. um, that tells you all you need to know about the level of intrigue for Sting's retirement. So here here is the lineup for Sunday night. We've got the the All Star Scramble match. We mentioned the participants with two more to be added: FTR against Claudio Castagnoli and John Moxley. Christian Cage is taking on Daniel Garcia for the AEW TNT Championship. So they are going ahead with the one-on-one match. You know, last week we talked about the idea. If you want to hold off on Christian and Adam Copeland, you've got big business coming up. I also forgot the week after big business is the Toronto show as well. So Mm -hmm. I think it makes a lot of sense that, you know, you you have that match in your back pocket. And I like the fact they're doing cage and Garcia on on this. I I was just a bit surprised that you wouldn't have Adam Copeland on pay-per-view. You know, mm-hmm. for yeah, yeah, there's there is that. Um, it would also like you would also look at this as like one of the like lowest, um, like this is Jericho just in another match, and this like Jericho might be your highest paid guy on on this whole roster as well. Osprey against Takeshita, I think they should open the pay per view. I w- I would put it in that slot, and I think it would just be incredible. Is it going to be the match of the decade? that's that's quite the lofty title to put on anything but um that's i guess if it's not then it's a failure right no not not at all i mean like it might not be the match of the show who knows um we'll we'll, we'll find out uh eddie kingston and brian danielson for the continental crown tony storm against diana perrazzo for the women's title samoa joe swerve strickland hangman for the AEW title orange cassidy roderick strong um They've made it six weeks of uh, since the announced Man, match. I don't know why they announced it so early. Like, sure, whatever. And then Sting and Darby against the Young Bucks. How do you see the 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 retirement match ending? I think Sting loses. I think so. Too. Yeah. I I mean I think there's wonderful sort of um uh, emotion to be had from a loss versus him winning riding off in the sunset with the championship belts. I I don't think that's as interesting to me creatively. I think this is also going to be like a larger story for the young bucks that this is going to propel them for in terms of you know if you, if you hear kind of their thought process of this angle it's like taking AEW back to where it was and getting rid of somebody like a Sting for instance like that's great heat for them. And it is also, it's more or less like where I see this one going. And I, I think that it would be, I think honestly, you could, you can go either way here. Um, you, you could do the, the feel good moment at the end, but I think ultimately you're going to get like the, the post-match like retirement ceremony that I think is going to be the, the, the yeah. feel good aspect of it, regardless of whether he wins or loses. Curious to see what names from the past might show up ringside, you know, to, to, to give us maybe some of that, uh, some of those tears. Um, I, uh, so do you have any predictions for like stunts? Like what level of sting stunt no, are we? I'm not get? making any predictions for stunts. Oh goodness. He I'm looks, I'll just say sting looks in great shape right now. Like what little, like we saw him in the tag match tornado tag, like didn't look gassed in, in any part. Um, even the physicality we saw tonight, like he looked in really good shape, and I have no doubt he's he's going to look great on on uh, Sunday too. Do you have a prediction for match of the night? I think Zosbrick to catch the match is going to be great. Like it, the, the emotion is not going to be touched from the the retirement match, but I think it, like um yeah, I, I just think Osprey and Takeshita is going to be incredible. I mean, Kingston and Danielson looks excellent on paper. You've got the FTR Moxley Claudio match, uh, Joe Hangman Swerve. And Swerve. That like, could be he, amazing. 
for all we've said about the buildup, like Orange Cassidy and Roderick Strong should be incredible for mm-hmm. what what time they have. Like seriously, this this has the potential to be one of the the better AEW pay per views, which is a really really high bar. But this, I I think this lineup's incredible. And there are only nine matches, and I say only because I feel like it's not um, unusual for AEW to have a lot more than that. There's only one women's match on the show, so I could see them adding another women's match. Um, they haven't designated anything for the pre-show, have they? Not to my knowledge. Okay. Well, it's at nine matches now. We will see if uh, any are uh, added to it. But we'll open it up now to your Super Chats and a couple of pieces of feedback as we close out the show. We have a super chat here from Jake from the Windy City who sends $10. Thank you, Jake, for the support. He says, what would be your go-to Sting matches? I love the flare draw at the first class of champions, obviously. I have a soft spot for this match against, for his match against AJ in TNA Bound for Glory 2009 as well. Um, I, I would lean towards the Vader matches in uh, the early 90s. I thought those two just had really great chemistry. Uh, it was Sting. I thought always his best um, opponents were were big men and Vader was, I thought his best opponent in that category. Yes. You have the flare matches from a significant standpoint. I mean, that was the match that really put him on, on the map in 1988. Um, but those Vader matches, like that was a very low period for WCW, but they, I just thought they always had uh, terrific uh, chemistry together. Those, those would be some like yeah, with, with Muda, like, he certainly had some very good matches with, with him as well. Um, and then, yeah, the, the the TNA run is one where I think you focus a lot on his like character stuff, but it was like, he was, he was in there with Kurt. He was in there with AJ. I mean, he was in there with like a lot of guys that you kind of had a, a sense of th- this guy that was, you know, working to a much younger generation of opponents. And that's been, um, only heightened now going to AEW where he's got just, you know, the new Jack run in him. I don't really have any go-to sting matches. Um, he, he was never really my guy, so to speak. Um, I would recommend people listen to best match ever from Brandon and Davey with Nate Milton talking about sting. If you want maybe a bit more of a comprehensive um, discussion about that. Um, but he's always been just sort of, sort of, sort of a name that that's been around. My dad <laughs> suggested <laughs> changing my name to S so that I could be Sting, uh, <laughs> if you remember that story. I do, yes. Um, he's always been around, but like I've never really kind of looked at him as like a like an incredible sort of work rate type of guy to where I'd say, oh, I really have to like, I really remember this match. I really want to go back and watch it. Not in the way that I, I look at somebody like a Brett, for instance. Um, but I, uh, I, I, I respect the man's uh, very, very long and very influential career. All right, let's go to some feedback. We'll start off with Andrew from Cape Breton. I wasn't much of a WWF fan than a WCW fan when I was a kid, but it was really cool seeing Sting come down from the rafters. I also wear a harness for my work, and he looked to have a nice one on under the trench coat. I'm really looking forward to the pay-per-view. I feel that Meat Madness Scramble Match may have been Tony changing his mind instead of the injury story, as it makes more sense to add different types of people into the match and not restrict yourself to large men so it's for the best. I was also impressed with Chris Statlander and Sky Blue. I've seen both have some bad matches before, but they really brought it. Overall, a great episode. 
Let's go to Cody from Maine, who says, not a home run, but a solid final dynamite before the pay-per-view. I'm a bit disappointed in the meat madness shakeup, but I'm sure the scramble will be fun and hectic. Perhaps as hectic as Excalibur's rundown tonight, that poor man. The main event segment perfectly showcased the beautiful stupidity of wrestling. Why would Sting allow Darby to be beaten down by the Bucks? Why would Sting allow Flair to be beaten down by the Bucks? Who cares? He repelled from the rafters, and I cheered like I was six years old again. It was awesome. I'm excited to make the journey down to Greensboro for the, to be a part of the send-off to one of the biggest legends in the industry. It's been said many times over the last few years, but I'm so thankful that Sting has gotten this final run. It would have been an absolute shame to have such a legendary career and the way it could have after the buckle bomb in WWE. Muggin writes, the go-home was a love letter to all things Sting on the eve of his impending swan song. The closing segment with him descending from the Raptors to bail Darby out was cool. Hangman worked Huntsville with feigning his ankle injury, completing the double turn with Swerve. Osprey is clearly on his way out of the Callus clan. The opening six-man was great fun with BCC getting the necessary heat, heading into the respective matches in Greensboro. Let's go to Ani, who says, the built to revolution has been very good easily. AEW's best build, build to a pay-per-view in at least over a year. They've maneuvered a lot of wrestlers into positions that should reap dividends long-term. Very good booking. However, I don't think much of these Young Bucks characters outside the angle where they beat Sting and his son's bloody. This Bucks versus the old-timer shtick has been played out for many a year and is now just tired and boring. All their meta jabs also come across as shallow when the fiction itself isn't that strong. I also thought the ending angle where Sting let his friends get beaten up before descending from the rafters was contrived and had me rolling my eyes. Bucks didn't sell the surprise well either. Swing and a miss on that angle. Boy, yeah, did not enjoy this. I mean, what? how much control are you in to uh, decide when you can repel? I would hope... Um, complete control <laughs> if if you're gonna descend you think it's timed <laughs> to only go off at a certain well i'm just moment? saying there's a lot of preparation that goes into this you can't just be oh, okay. act, like reacting to an imp- <laughs> improvised you're saying, attack you're on saying, darby allen you're saying while darby was getting beaten up flair was getting beaten up sting was getting up there like getting properly shackled and safety tests and all that he didn't he, he didn't know that this attack would be going on he was just going to make an appearance <laughs> I'll say like the whole episode in regards to like what Sting was was doing with what the Bucks were doing, looking for Sting all throughout the episode, going to various rooms felt very WCW Nitro to me. Like we're going to go through the back. It would have been area. really WCW Nitro if when Nick or Matt looked into that mirror and he saw Sting's reflection. But um, yeah, but but Nick couldn't see it. I mean, we're approaching that sort of territory with the bats hanging you know, in Sting's dressing room, like kind of over the top. Maybe it was done in tribute. Maybe it was just sort of like a uh, self-aware corniness. Maybe it wasn't. I don't know. But even the final segment, um, maybe a few plot holes that you could have pointed to it uh, in the same way that you could have a WCW closing segment. We still had the announcers, though, mention that a camera crew is following the Young Bucks around. What egomaniacs? Brown color. Yeah, to explain. All right. That is going to wrap up the show. So coming up over the next couple of days on Friday, we are going to have a new edition of Post Pro Res, WH Park. Boy, I I can't wait to hear his thoughts on the state of New Japan Pro Wrestling. That's coming up on Friday with Karen Peterson and uh, going into New Japan Cup season. They will be covering all things, uh, not just New Japan. I'm sure they will be covering everything uh, across the country of Japan. Then on Friday night, Way and I are back right after SmackDown. SmackDown sold out. You can tune in to Rewind to SmackDown sold out with us too, as we will be going through that show and taking your calls as well. That's for members at postwrestling.com. 
cafe.com. Then on Saturday, we've got an edition of Collision Course with Bruce Lord filling in for John Cena, joining Kate from Montreal. And we will be up minutes after Revolution on Sunday night for everybody. A whole lot of stuff. It's a very busy weekend this week, but um, yeah. You want to drive to Greensboro? No, no. I'm going to watch it here on nordvpn.com slash postwrestling. Good night. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.